Welcome to Sailing in the Mediterranean and Beyond podcast. I'm your host. My name is Franz. Well, today I'm not going to have much of an introduction and I'm not going to have a mailbag because I have not received any emails from you with questions. So that's just fine. If you don't have any emails, nothing to talk about. So I'm going to thank our sponsor, Sailrite, right now. This show is sponsored in part by Sailrite. Since 1969, Sailrite has been equipping self-sufficient sailors with tools, supplies, and knowledge they need to sew for their boats. This second-generation family business is also the maker of the Sailrite Ultrafeed sewing machine. The Ultrafeed is a portable, heavy-duty sewing machine that was designed to handle all your maritime sewing projects from sails to covers. At Sailrite, you'll find everything you need to take on your next do-it-yourself project, including fabric, tools, hardware, and even hundreds of free how-to video tutorials. Start your next project at sailrite.com. That's S-A-I-L-R-I-T-E dot com. I watch a lot of YouTube videos, and, well, it was probably about a month ago. I was watching, uh, well, you know how YouTube works. If you watch certain subjects, they uh, come up with other ideas for you to watch. And I had been watching some videos on chainsaw milling and sort of the reason I was doing this is because up at the summer home we have some big pine trees and every now and then they'll fall down and of course I can cut them up and use them for firewood but I was thinking well maybe I ought to try to figure a way out to um, to cut them up and make beams out of them or usable uh, lumber out of them. I don't know if you've ever worked with round logs but it's a lot more difficult to um, to use round logs than square, square, square boards. Anyway, I had been watching some chainsaw milling videos, and one day I turned on YouTube, and it had this one YouTube video that it suggested that I might want to watch, and the name of it was Milling Live Oak in the Deep South, Rebuilding Tally Ho, Episode 19. And I'd been down to Savannah and seen some of the big, beautiful live oaks. And I thought, oh, well, that'd, that'd be interesting. I'd never heard of live oak as one of the woods that I would ever work with. I've worked with red oak. I've worked with white oak. But I've never worked with live oak. And I didn't even think of it as a, uh, as a wood that you would use. And probably not a lot of people do because it is a very expensive wood. And it's nowhere near as abundant as white oak or red oak. Anyway, I watched this. And it was put out by this, gay, this man named Leo Golden. And once I watched this video, I just worked my way back through all of his videos. In fact, I, I went to his channel and started out at the beginning because what he's doing is he bought an old sailing yacht, a cutter-rigged pilot sailing yacht, pilot cutter sailing yacht, very similar lines to my boat but much bigger. And it was built oh, over 100 years ago. And he bought the boat for a dollar, hauled it up to Squim, Washington, and is rebuilding this boat in Squim, Washington. Now, I am familiar with Squim. That's where I left from 
to, actually I left from Port Angeles, which is right next to Squim, to help my friend take his boat, his commercial fishing boat, up the inside passage, and I went as far with him as Juneau, Alaska, and he eventually went on to uh, Homer, Alaska, but I got off in, in Juneau, Alaska, and that was a long, long time ago, but anyway, I'm familiar with the area, but I am totally addicted to watching these YouTube videos, and he's taking you from the beginning where the, he purchases the boat until the most recent episode I saw was he had repa- replaced the keel timber. And this boat is a 1910 cutter pi- pilot cutter, and it's famous because it won the Fastnet race one year. And he tells a story in one of the uh, videos of it won the Fastnet race, not because it was the fastest boat, but because a big storm came up and every other boat was either wrecked or had to retire. And this boat was one of the, I think, two or three boats that actually finished the race. So it was the most sea- one of the most seaworthy boats on, on the race, not the fastest, but the most seaworthy. Anyway, I am pleased to talk Leo Golden into being a guest on the podcast. I reached out to him. I made a donation to his project because he's looking for support for this project. And I'm glad to have him on the podcast today and talking about his project and Tally Ho and his experience. This guy is a not just a boat builder, but he's a master boat builder wooden boat shipwright, a full-on wooden boat shipwright, as well as a very experienced sailor. On some of his videos, he takes us on some of the boats that he's been in charge of delivering. Classic, beautiful, classic boats. And you know, he's a guy that talks the talk and walks the walk. And if you watch his videos, you will see one of the hardest working people you've ever seen. So I'm pleased to bring on Leo Golden the proud owner of Tally Ho. And by the way, before I get to that, be sure you check out the show notes for the website today because I'm giving you links to his YouTube video and his website and ways that you might want to consider supporting him in this project. I'm on the phone or on the Skype with Leo Golden, the proud owner of Tally Ho, an over 100-year-old 20-ton Gaffed rig pilot cutter. Give us a quick description of the yacht and how you came to own her, Leo. Sure. Well, Tally Ho was designed as a, a private yacht in 1909, built in 1910 in England, designed by Albert Strange. Uh, she's 47 feet 6 inches on deck, plus a bowsprit and a, a long boom, so probably about 65 feet overall. And as you said, she's a very heavy boat. She's not quite a pilot cutter, but she's designed on the pilot cutter lines, really. Um, and she's had a long and adventurous life, but I picked her up uh, last year. And she was sitting in a, a boatyard in Oregon where she was, it seemed like she was destined to the, for the chainsaw, really, because she'd been long abandoned and was completely rotted out and uh, sort of stuck in the middle of nowhere. And uh, I decided to try and save her and rebuild her. Well, I've already described to the listeners of how I came across your YouTube uh, station, your YouTube channel, and uh, and the one that the first one of your videos that I watched where it was you milling, milling a live oak uh, down in, I guess it was Mississippi, wasn't it? 
Uh, it was Georgia, actually. Georgia. South Georgia. Okay. Yeah. That was a classic YouTube video. The character that did your milling for you was was somebody that you always read about. He had such a thick, thick southern accent that sometimes it was difficult to understand him. But, boy, a lot of people wrote in on that uh, on that uh, episode and just said what a, what a pleasure it was to watch that. So why did you decide to go down the path of videoing your project um, and take us back to the beginning? Well, it's a good question. I guess um, I've always... Uh, written a blog about sort of sailing and boat building and i've enjoyed storytelling i suppose um when i took this boat on it quickly became apparent that it was really sort of beyond the means that i had at the time um the scope of the work and the cost of the materials uh, i realized i couldn't quite manage unless i uh, found some way to get some income so my basic plan was to do what i've always done which is go back to work periodically and save and then go back to my projects um but i did think that i'd try and making videos about this and potentially that might attract some fund fundraising and uh beg your pardon that might attract some funding and so that's what i did and i really had no idea how it would turn out or uh if anyone would watch it but um it turns out that a few people do and it has started to bring in some funding which is great because it means i don't have to take quite as many breaks to go and work and save money i know the last one i looked at uh number 21 shaping and fitting the teal the keel timber i think there's over 150 views of that youtube video so far something like that over a hundred thousand anyway so you've got quite a following right now yeah it's really it's amazing and it uh in, you know surprising and inspiring uh for me to to have that amount of support and people sort of watching my project and it it's good because uh it gives me a bit more uh motivation to make sure i can get the videos out on time and actually make progress every week yeah i'm amazed that um of what you seem to be able to do with wedges and hydraulic jacks i i watch you and you pulled out a full keel keel timber and put one back in with just basically some rudimentary hand tools more than anything else. Where did you learn your skills? Well, I guess I um, I started boat building about eight years ago in a boat yard in Bristol. Uh, and we were building Bristol Channel pilot cutters, in fact, um, in a pretty basic yard. So you know, we were always using basic tools. And I remember the first boat that we built, we slid out of the shed um, on a big sled on greased boards you know there was no uh, crane or anything um so i guess i really i do enjoy moving big stuff around using primitive technology uh, as long as you take it slow there's really nothing you can't do with levers and and um you know jacks help a lot um uh yeah it's, it's very satisfying work to, to see that you know one man can can uh you know move the whole boat if you need to yeah i know when i built my boat i built i bought the holland deck and uh then built a shed around it a full-on shed around it and then uh took five years to build it and then when Mm -hmm. i needed to get it out uh, i jacked it up with a hydraulic jack just like you did and i had a full crater a full-length cradle 
put some yeah. um, some rollers, some basically some pipes underneath it, about two and a half inch pipes underneath it. And with a come along, just did exactly what you did. Roll it out the front of the shed so that the crane could get its uh, sling underneath it and start lifting it. But uh, it's, that's how yeah, I that's did mine. Right. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, for hundreds of years, people have been doing that with, a, you know, without hydraulic jacks even. <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's all possible. You just have to, as you know, um, you know, take it slow and steady and um, you can usually get what you want done. Well, I want to support your project as much as possible, and I've made a, a small donation myself, and I want to get the word out oh, to, thank my, you. It's very to, kind. to my listeners and let them know that, that how they can support you. And you have a website called samsonboat.co.uk, and in it you have some tools that you would like to have, also ways to become a Patreon, ways to become a one-off donor, and and as I watch your YouTube videos, I see that you're getting people out there to spend a day or two helping you. And how, you know, I, I love the idea of, of helping somebody, but boy, don't you have to spend a lot of time training people what to do when you have, have people come help you? Well, yeah, it's a funny one. It's, um, it's quite difficult to get the balance right. Um, but I'm, you know, I'm working on it and working on my management skills. Um, there's a lot of jobs which don't require too much training. Um, there's always, you know, menial labor to be done. Um, and so I guess the jobs that people come and get involved in really depends on their experience. Um, and like you say, I can't, uh, spend days training people to, to do things, but, um, if people come with a certain skill set, then I try and, uh, let them use that. Um, and yeah, it's been working out really well so far. I've had some really good help here. Um, and, you know, even if it's just lifting stuff and helping tidy the yard and stuff, that's all really helpful. Yeah. Leo, I watch you um, move around things. And, and you, how old are you right now? I mean, you, you're fairly young. You must be in your early 30s. Is that about right? I'm um, 28. 28. Okay. All right. Because my back aches every time I watch one of your videos. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I hope, uh, yeah, I hope I'd don't uh, do myself in too early <laughs> yeah yeah i was i was building my boat about the same time uh, i would think i started my boat around 28 is all as well and it's right. been a long time since then but uh, I, I i've never owned a wooden boat L larry party oh, is very a wise of you. yeah larry party's <laughs> a, a friend of mine or an acquaintance oh, of right, mine good. and um and he came so I've to my got his book on my shelf beside me. Oh, do you? Okay, I don't have his book because uh, it's an expensive book. First of all, it's very expensive. Yeah, it was given to me by um, Ashley Butler, who was a pet builder I worked for for a few years, and he taught me a lot, Ashley. And he was also um, very close with Larry, and I think Larry taught him a lot, and he gave me that book. I know Larry came to my workshop and. Uh, while I was building my boat, and I said, Larry, I, I, I've got uh, The Rigger's Apprentice by Brian Toss, and I see you always do your hand splicing on your, on your wire rope, but I can never figure out how to actually get it started. It's easy to wrap it around, but the actual starting, that first tuck is always difficult. He said, well, let me show you how, and I gave him some 3 uh, what was it, 7 by 19, or anyway, some, some uh, wire rope, and he put Put that he got it started, and I said stop there, and I cut it off, and it still hangs on. Uh, it hangs up in my uh, my my workshop. So oh, nice. I, yeah. 
That's great. Yeah. So you uh, you learned on the job, or did you take any formal training to become a boat builder? No, I just learned on the job, but uh, I didn't get paid for the first year or so. <laughs> so, so a true apprentice then. Yeah, making lots of tea and sweeping floors, cutting bungs, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Okay, and um, and you have a girlfriend or a friend who's a female that comes out and helps you once in a while from England. How many yep. how many times have you had the same people come and help you? And what's been the longest distance they've traveled from to come and, and spend some time working with you? Well, um, like I say, I've had a few people come from England to help out, um, but they've all generally been friends from before I came out here. Um, right now, I've got a guy who drove down uh, about 1,500 miles from Canada, and he's been here a few days. Oh, all right. Um, so that's great. And um, uh, talking to a few people about uh, coming and helping out, there's one guy who's planning to come from Australia for a week. So, um, yeah, it's um, coming from all over the world, it seems. Okay. Great. And when they come visit you, where do they stay? Do they just camp out near you or get a hotel? How, do, how does that work out? Uh, people tend to do whatever they feel like um i've got some sort of pretty basic bunk beds and stuff um in the workshop but people sometimes prefer to you know get a motel or some people drive up in an rv and that sort of thing yeah i've spent a lifetime acquiring tools but i'm still envious of your workshop <laughs> it's pretty neat isn't it okay. i'm yeah i'm very lucky to be here yeah that's great so you're up working on the boat right now you you fit the keel timber. What's the next episode I'm going to be looking for? Well, I'm actually right now editing video, and hopefully um, I'll be finished today or tomorrow, and that will be out on Saturday. Um, and I've actually been working on getting the hog out of the boat. So uh, many old wooden boats, they hog, which means they kind of sag at the ends uh, over time. The extra buoyancy in the center of the boat pushes the center up and it kind of deforms the shape so i've been bending the entire boat back into shape and then i've been getting a couple of really interesting pieces of machinery which are hopefully going to help um so i've got hold of a forklift and also really excitingly a very old ship saw which is a as you probably know it's a enormous bandsaw with a, a blade that moves so you can adjust the bevel as you cut rather than moving the table. So you put the, uh, the, you put the uh, board in flat like you always would and then just adjust, mm-hmm. adjust the whole bandsaw to, to get your angle instead of adjusting the table to get your angle then. Is that right? That's right, yeah. But, but this thing is, I mean, it's enormous. It probably weighs 5,000 pounds or more. It's a 25-foot blade, and it just looks, it, it could be as old as the boat. And it just looks like a you know fantastic Victorian piece of machinery. Where did so you... it's been quite an adventure getting it set up. Where did you pick that up from? Um, a shipwright who uh, he's retired now, but a guy who was building boats in the eighties got in touch with me, um, and he's had this thing sat behind his workshop for twenty years, and uh, he's always been looking for a way to get it building boats again. Um, and I guess he saw my videos, and um, he offered it to me for a really good price and um on the sort of condition that i look after it and and uh, keep it working and then pass it on to the next guy eventually wow that's great 
That's great. Now, where was it located again? California? No, it was just down the road from here. Oh, okay. Paul's Bay, only an hour away. Well, you know, you're up in a wonderful area for wooden boat building. I mean, that is sort of the mecca in the United States for uh, for wooden boat building. So you could not be at a better location. Yeah, yeah, it's very good here, and Port Townsend especially has a lot going on. Yeah. Um, but that, that's the reason I came up here. Really, the boat was in Southern Oregon, and it was the nearest place with any sort of boat building community. Yeah. The boat, builder of my boats was Sam Moores, and when he retired, was, he had uh, Sam Moores' Bristol Channel Cutters, and when he, Lyle has designed Bristol Channel Cutters, and when he retired, yeah. that's where he moved, was up to uh, Port Townsend. Okay, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And uh, I helped my friend who built a commercial fishing boat, who built it actually in Squim and launched it in Port Angeles, and I helped him take it from there up to Juneau, Alaska a long time ago. Okay, cool. Must have been a good trip. So tell me about your sailing skills. You're a commercial skipper as well. Yeah, that's right. Um, I've been sailing for as long as I've been boat building, really. And um, I guess uh, I've done a lot of deliveries on, you know, smaller yachts up to sort of 50 feet and then um, spent some time as a captain of a uh, 96 foot uh, classic yacht um took her to greenland and italy and all around the atlantic and then um my most recent job was uh running the deck on the schooner addicts which is a quite a large three-masted gaff schooner yeah i watched that video what a beautiful boat that is it has a crew of about what five on it um uh, that runs with sort of nine to twelve wow but uh, five, uh, five or six deck crew, and then you've got the chefs and engineers and so on. Yeah, it's a beautiful boat, just an absolutely gorgeous boat that you were on. I enjoyed watching that video as well. So, Leo, I know you have limited time. I could talk to you for hours, but I know you have limited time. What do I need to make sure I cover before I let you go? Um, well, if you... I don't know, really. Uh, you could mention the... Um, the trip I did in my folk boat was probably the sim- most similar thing I've done to this project in terms of rebuilding my own boat and then going on a voyage. Um, that might be of interest. And then I guess I could talk about what I hope to do with this boat when I'm finished, if that's of any interest. Yeah, tell me about your folk boat. I know those are classic, what, Scandinavian design, aren't they? That's right, yeah. Um, they were designed uh, in the 40s, and mine was built in Sweden in 1947 um i rebuilt it in cornwall i didn't realize when i bought it how rotten it was as you know as happens um but pretty major rebuild on that and then uh sailed that down to caribbean every year or so and um that was really um well it was an amazing trick it was an amazing trip and it kind of it kicked off my sailing career i guess um it was after that that i got started getting hired as a a captain for the larger classic yachts so would you sail it down to the canaries and then across in december or january yeah i did uh well i spent christmas in the canaries uh i then sailed down to the cape verde islands and i actually left from cape verde uh the beginning of february okay all right yeah well, that, now that must not have been that long ago because you're fairly young. Was that in your tw- early 20s then? Uh, I 
think I was must have been twenty five then. Yeah, so it was about okay. three years ago. Well, I know yeah. you stood on top uh, on on the top of your boat, imagining you s- sailing this boat with a uh, cocktail in your hand. Tally ho! I'm talking about at yeah. some point in time in the future. So, talk about your future plans for Tally Ho. Well, I mean, it's you know, it's all a, a very long way ahead. There's lots to do, but um, I certainly intend to sail her back to England first of all. That'll be the the first challenge and uh, there's several routes that I could take but I'd like to avoid the Panama Canal if possible um, partly on principle um, because it was not actually completed until 1915 which is after Tally Ho was built so uh, I quite like the idea of trying to navigate the Northwest Passage or um, perhaps go around Cape Horn and then get back to England, uh, race her in the Fastnet race again, which is a race, famous race that she won in uh, 1927 and is still running. So it'd be great to compete in that. And then um, just keep on adventuring, I guess. But, you know, I've got an idea to to set up something sort of bigger back in England and and hopefully help get more people and, and more younger people involved in uh, traditional boat building and sailing one day. Tell you told the story of the fat the how Tally Ho won the fast net race in 1927. Uh, brief, you know, tell our audience what happened. Sure. Well, fast net race is um, really the first big offshore yachting race that was developed in 1926. The first one was, I think, and it runs from Southampton around the southwest uh, English coast. Uh, around Land's End and up to the Fast Network in Ireland and then back again. So it's a sort of a five-day race probably um, back in those days anyway. And it crosses the uh, Irish Sea, which is one of the most treacherous and um, sort of unpredictable seas in terms of weather uh, in the world. And so Tally Ho won it in the second year that it ran. And that year was a, a very, very stormy year. And... Um, Every boat, apart from Tally Ho and one other, actually um, called it quits and, uh, and and gave up the race because the weather was so bad. But but Tally Ho and um, another schooner, larger schooner called La Galetta, um, did manage to finish the race, um, which is a sort of testament to their sort of sea keeping and heavy weather abilities, really. Yeah, makes me proud to have a boat similar to that, but much smaller. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's what, you know, pilot cutters are all about, um, being out there in the roughest weather when, you know, everyone else had to go in and seek shelter and pilot cutters were designed to, to do that so that they could uh, could go and get the job of piloting the big boats in. Well, thank you, Leo. I really appreciate the time. I'm going to put links to your website. I've got a couple pictures of your boat. Well, i got one picture of your boat and one picture of you at the... Uh, as a show notes to this website, I'm putting all the links so people can support your project if they choose to. That would be great. Yeah, I'd, I'd just encourage people to have a look at the videos and, and see what they think and, uh, and uh, shoot me a line if they have any questions. All right. Thanks, Leo. Cool. Thanks very much. Pleasure to talk to you. Okay. Hold, okay. hold on a second. Sure. Uh, well, that was a quick interview and a quick podcast. I glad to have talked to Leo. I told him after I got off the recording with him that if I'm ever up in that area, he can put me to work if I have the time. 
it'd sort of be fun to go up there and, and actually work on a historic boat like that. It's something I would enjoy. Thank you for listening. If you have any thoughts or suggestions, write me, Franz1 at medsailor.com. If you want to support the podcast, just like I try to support other podcasts and other endeavors, and you appreciate what I do here, you can be a supporter at patreon.com backslash medsailor. And the other way you can support this podcast is to buy some of my audio products, which I've put together for helping you prepare for the American Sailing Association written test for the ASA 101, the 103, or the 104, and they are available at the website, medsailor.com. And I don't, if I don't get any uh, questions, I don't do a Q&A period in the podcast, so if you have any questions that you'd like me to attempt to answer, write franz1 at medsailor.com. Life is short. In the end, all that really matters is the memories you make. So make a few. Go sailing. <laughs>